Welcome to Forever a Golden Bear, brought to you by the Big C Society, the Letter Winner Society of Cal Athletics and its alumni network. Each week, we interview varsity letter winners from Cal who are excelling in their post-sports careers. Through their stories, we demystify how to ladder into various professional roles, examine what a day in the life in those roles looks like, and explore whether the athlete's mindset, disciplines, and sensibilities provides an edge in post-sports careers. This episode, and actually the first 13 episodes of Forever a Golden Bear, is brought to you by a regular donor to the Big C Society, who shall remain nameless, who made his gift in honor of the thousands of walk-on athletes for the Golden Bears across all of its sports. Anonymous donor, you know who you are. Thank you, thank you from all of us. Your generosity is the fuel for what we produce here. For anyone else who has an interest in supporting this podcast, please go to bigcsociety.org forward slash donate. Each $500 donation funds one episode of this show. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Paler, former Cal rugby player and the now executive director of the Big C Society. Together with us today are Joe Roof, the president of the Big C Society, and our special guest today, Anwar McQueen of Cal Men's Basketball and more recently, Team Inc. Unfortunately, our liaison director for men's basketball, Theo Robertson, couldn't be with us today because... You know, he's a basketball coach for the Gordon State Warriors and all. But Anwar, you and Theo are buddies, right? Uh, yes, me and Theo are buddies. And um, I actually recruited him out of high school when I was coaching at the collegiate level. He, no way. Uh, he, he said no to my my school and chose Cal, so I couldn't be too mad at him. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got a little bit of Big C connection going here. And for the benefit of our listeners, Anwar, I'm going to share a little bit about your background. Now, Anwar hails from Washington, D.C., where he attended arguably the best academic high school in the country. That's St. Albans. Lots of prominent alums like Vice President Al Gore and so forth. While he was there, he turned St. Albans, which until that time didn't really wasn't really known for basketball, into a basketball powerhouse, beating local D.C. elite programs like DeMatha High and Dunbar. He was also invited to play in the McDonald's Capital Classic to showcase his skills. Now, when Anwar arrived to Cal, unlike most kids, he already had a degree from CTU. Now, Anwar, I want to start there because I know your life before Cal was very formative and extremely difficult at times. Can you tell our listener what CTU is and the story of how you got to St. Albans and then Cal? Yeah, so uh, just to be abundantly clear, um, CTE is not an accredited university, but uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> I say CTE? <laughs> CTU, sorry. CTU oh, okay. is not an accredited university, but it was my neighborhood I grew up that, you know, um, when I, uh, I'm happy to get into, you know, uh, details, if you will, but... You know, anyone kind of coming out of that type of environment during the times, you know, for being raised with, you know, the drugs and violence and, you know, maybe lack of resources, uh, you know, you you can pat yourself on the back that you graduated from something, you know, and uh, and to bring it full circle. That is uh, one of my proudest foundations related to, you know, learn some hard lessons of life um, to survive some, uh, you know, poverty and hardships, but really, uh that was my connection education, right? Um, I was a pretty gifted, you know, athlete, but um, I kind of got with, with community support too. this, you know, 
direct understanding that, yeah, you can be a good athlete, but if you have the grades too, you know, you know, you control your destiny. So, um, I would not have, uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys had I not, you know, been through that, that undergraduate graduate experience from, uh, from Clifton Terrace University. So that's what it stands for Clifton Terrace University. <laughs> there we go. And then can you kind of, can you dive into this transition over to St. Albans and then how you reached Cal? Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, Clifton Terrace, uh, it was a, a housing projects, uh, right in the heart of, uh, you know, Washington, DC. And then, uh, you had St. Albans, uh, it's a prestigious, uh, high school, um, across town in a very affluent area of DC and, uh, you know, Northern pop, uh, part of Georgetown, uh, where you Georgetown university sits, et cetera. Um, so you talking about, um, the tale of two worlds. I mean, that's just an, an understatement. Um, but, you know, through the, uh, you know, my participation in sports and playing in like exceptional tournaments, if you will, I got to navigate the city and, you know, sports was that kind of outlet where I got to integrate, uh, you know, integrate with other people, get to know people outside of my neighborhood. And because I had that commitment, you know, through my family support and community support of having academic uh, standing and, you know, um, athletic ability, you know, St. Albans was, you know, something that was uh, reachable for me, right? So um, I went through the process of applying, got accepted, and, um, you know, that transition wasn't smooth. Um, it was just, you know, it was a, it was eye-opening from a cultural standpoint where I literally was a minority almost instantly. You know, I went from this Clifton Terrace, you know, majority African-American Latinx community to, you know, being a, um, a black man in D.C. in an all-white environment, if, if you will. Um, but again, you know, sports uh, had already integrated that process for me, so I, w I was fine socially, but academically it was a transition, you know, just to, you know, be really thrust in an environment with academic river, uh, rigors um, just were a little different from the D.C. public school system that I'd, uh, you know, successfully challenged up to. It couldn't be more different. Uh, my uh, my business partner went to St. Albans and talked about the extreme rigors I but also lived in DC for a short time as a result of starting this business with them. I mean, what a, what a remarkable place. And you sound, they probably worked you. Yeah, no, it was, um, you know, it, it, <laughs> you can't hide at St. Albans, you know, um, just, yeah. uh, you know, coming from the public schools where you may be in a class of, you know, one of 25 students, um, you go to a school like St. Albans, you know, I remember a chemistry class, I was one of four students, you know, and so it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, hide, hide, if you will. But no, um, the challenge was uh, there in front of me and I couldn't have had success if, um, you know, resources weren't there to, you know, uh, you know, help me. You know, and that was my coaches, you know, uh, faculty members at St. Albans and more importantly, you know, um, you know, my classmates, you know, um, you know, I think that community embraced me. And so it, it was an easier transition. It was an easier transition for me socially. But academically, you know, that still stands out. That was a, a rigorous um, journey for me. So you're doing well in basketball over at St. Albans. I mean, you're like turning around this program. You're working hard academically. How do you find yourself on the other side of the country going over to UC Berkeley? Yeah, I was able to keep, um, you know, ties to my, um, you know, to my community or my neighborhood. And, you know, back at the time, I was, I would say we probably, were, I was probably on the, earlier or the the earlier stages of what we know is AAU basketball right now. This is pretty standardized. You can kind of log on to a website and you join a team. It wasn't that quite, uh, it wasn't quite there. Um, um, 
I would say we were the pre-market, if you will, because uh, <laughs> our idea of an AAU team, we literally had to, uh, you know, have neighborhood car washes, fundraising, you know, just, just the old school, uh, if you will. Today's youth, it's like you got any talent, you know, you're signing your shoe deals and middle school type stuff, you know, but uh, <laughs> that, 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 that wasn't um, the, the case for, uh, you know, me, um, you know, coming up. But, uh, you know, I guess the question was, you know, uh, you know, navigating through St. Albans, um, having that, you know, kind of uh, academic and that, that athletic success, you know, um, what was that the question? Just so I had to make yeah, sure. How did you get to Cal? He was, he was wondering. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, you know, so thank you for that. But, um, how that, you know, kind of, you know, got me to Cal, if you will, was because I still stayed close to the AAU circuit. You know, St. Albans was this, you know, private school that, you know, we had limitations of who we could play. I made up a lot of that just being able to, uh, you know, stay competitive in the AAU circuit, you know, playing in those, you know, uh, AAU tournaments where we traveled nationally. And um, I was talented enough to be one of those representatives to represent DC at large, if you will. So we took out, you know, we took out um, show on the road, if you will, um, to New York, came out West to Seattle, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Um, you know, we did play in those AAU tournaments and we won. So we won at the national level. So I had a good sense of, you know, maybe where I ranked kind of nationally, you know, just from a realistic talent um, scope. So um, by the time I got to my senior year, we had had uh, success as a program, so um, proud to say had a lot of options on, you know, on the table. Um, but Cal was kind of a, there was actually a, a family connection for me at Cal. Uh, my extended family, uh, my dad from my extended family, he had actually went to uh, uh, Bolt Law School. And so uh, uh, went to UCLA undergrad, um, Bolt, uh, Bolt Law School for graduate school. So my summers in high school, actually spent some time in uh, in Los Angeles uh, near the San Pedro area. So I was a little familiar with uh, California and, 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 and understanding how far that was. So you can imagine just having that opportunity to explore some West Coast uh, schools. You know, it, 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 it wasn't um, that, you know, it wasn't a long shot, if you will. So I was comfortable possibly staying out West uh, for school. Berkeley became a recruitable opportunity for me, and I just really loved um, the cosmopolitan environment and, you know, the where our program was at at the time. You know, I don't think any student athlete at the time would have said no to Cal. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. awesome. So, so now you're at Cal, and I know you're ultimately getting into the software business, right? Now, were you just thinking about software products all the time when you were at Cal? Uh, were you thinking about basketball, or was there a transition in that moment? Um, tell me your Cal. Yeah. Go so ahead. The, the Cal experience was, um, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, I, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, McDonald's all American, you know, highly recruited, et cetera. Uh, you know, I had every goal and dream to play in the NBA, you know, just said Cal, um, there was just a teammate in my way, if you will. And then his name happened to be Jason Kidd. So, um, you know, <laughs> so, only, uh, only Jason Kidd. Yeah, just, yeah that was it. Yeah, Jason, Jason stood in my way, you know, uh, how, how, how sad is that, right? <laughs> but no, um, you know, um, to, to actually to celebrate, that was a heck of an opportunity because, you know, it was a reward or extension of what I'd done as a high school student, I really had an opportunity to uh, compete at that level, play for a program like that. And Jason was the gold standard, right? You know, he was a class ahead of me. So I was able to follow, you know, his career when I was a senior in high school and to get on campus and us to have uh, the success and hype 
I mean, it, 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 it was, um, you know, it, it, there are lifetime memories that come from that, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, where I can celebrate today is I think we all handled that very responsibly with a lot of stuff coming at us, you know. Um, we had a you know young coach at the time, um, you know, uh, kind of considered the bad new bears, you know, as we comp- uh, competed for some Pac-10 uh, opportunities and stuff, but have a national ranking and go to the tournament three out of four years, you know, um, that was, that was a goal coming to college, but that's one thing to have a goal, but to have it happen, um, you know, one of my proudest accomplishments. You know, when we were doing some reading online, um, we were reading about this kind of rough part in your time at Cal. Um, we read that your cousin was shot. And the reason was unknown and you weren't getting the playing time you wanted. And we read that you even debated leaving Cal. Um, can you bring us back to that moment? Um, can you explain what was going on there and what made you persevere through that? Yeah. So um, it, it was definitely a personal strategy. Um, so uh, an older cousin of mine who um, in the street uh, word, if you will, pretty much raised me. He was that kind of, uh, he was a cousin, but you know, we were kind of raised like brothers. And so, you know, looked up to him and he was probably my biggest, you know, sponsor. Hey, you know, you stay out of the street, stay out of trouble, keep hitting the books, play basketball, and, you know, you're going to make it. So to be uh, that far away from home and to have him uh, senseless, uh, senselessly murdered, I mean, it just shook up, you know, it shook up my belief of, you know, I mean, was I doing the right thing? You know, of course I was, but, you know, it was a reflective moment of like, I had made it that far, um, you know, am I doing my family a disservice of not being able to be close to them and support them in any way? And in the in the heat of the moment, you know, my emotions were high, like, you know, I wanted to be back, uh, you know, with my family. But a lot of, uh, you know, testament to my teammates and my coaches at the time, just to, you know, kind of, you know, have me have a clear head, uh, stay focused, um, but really, you know, support, you know, I guess me grieving, right? Just having this understanding as a sophomore yeah. in college of like, you know, that could have been me in some ways, you know? So, um, but anyway, um, just, I think what happened, what helped was helpful was we were a successful program. We were winning. So it was easy to have those positive reinforcements kind of uh, uh, revisited. And again, without the academic support um, of the, you know, student athlete services we had and, um, you know, they helped me, uh, you know, go through that hard time and I was just better for it. I mean, a lot of ways, you know, I had, I had uh, it was just an extension of my foundation of, you know, why I was there and, you know, it gave me more purpose of wanting to compete, um, compete and complete, you know, my degree, you know, so I can, um, you know, stand on my own two feet. Sounds like I, I remember reading too that the, you know, after that sort of pivotal moment, you know, you're experiencing this loss and, you know, everything you just described, you know, for, you know, wanting to be back and all that. But it sounds like you, like you hit the books and like your academics got even better and you were, you know, to some extent playing even better. I don't, I don't want to, you know, like uh, mythologize this in a way that didn't happen, but it sounds like that there was like a, like a, you know, some sort of a, like a watershed moment. And like, as soon as you got over it and your head clicked in, you know, beyond the, the, the grieving itself, it, it just, uh, you, you started charging. Is that? Yes, um, it, it, it was a forward moment. You know, um, if I had to look back reflectively, clearly make or break, right? And I would say I made it, you know, it didn't break me. It, it slowed me down. I mean, you know, you had to kind of deal with it and address it. 
But again, not possible without my teammates and the resources that we had on campus. Um, you know, really my teammates to support me personally through this. And then as a school, just to be resourceful, um, you know, that's what you, that's what we're there for student athletes, right? You know, um, you know, you have, you know, uh, services on campus to talk to people and, you know, give you that positive reinforcement. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, that's the great, one of the greatest parts of teams anyways, you know, your, your teammates, camaraderie, looking out for each other. I mean, it's, it's what, that's honestly what, what a lot of people miss in team sports when they move on to do something else. Exactly. You know, another thing that stood out to me. So I just graduated from the Haas School of Business uh, just this last May of 2020. And when we were doing some reading on you, we found out um, that, A, you actually got accepted into the Haas School of Business, which is like really hard. I mean, around like a 12% acceptance rate. And that's like Berkeley applicants. And B, you said no. And I'm thinking like, who does that? Right. I mean, I come in this position. Um, I know all these people who are really, really stressed about getting into that school, you know, and that's if they want to be in business life. But, you know, you can even translate it to people who are in other majors trying to get into this certain career. And a lot of them don't get into Haas. They don't get into that school that they want to get into um, within UC Berkeley. Can you bring me back to that moment? Uh, like what was going through your mind and what drove that decision? Because clearly it hasn't stopped you from seeing tremendous success. Yeah. So actually a pretty straightforward decision or a binary decision. It was the Haas, uh, I'm sorry, the Haas, uh, you know, let's say course offering against men's basketball schedule. So if the NCA is listening, shame on you, you know, um, you know, you know, you guys are former student athletes as well, you know, um, you know, whether you wanted to go into Haas School of Business, Engineering, Sounds great, um, but if there's a conflict with your practice schedule, that's just hard to navigate, you know. And so um, that, you know, that honestly was the the reason, you know. Just um, yeah, couldn't do both, and I was there on a scholarship, and the choice was pretty, uh, you know, was made for me, if you will. So shame on NCAA, and you know, not having some flexibility with that. You know, Anwar, I just heard interesting. I, I just as an aside, but I heard the same uh, similar anecdotal story from. Dana Vollmer, who is, uh, you know, multiple time Olympian, which she's, she's now, uh, basically studying architecture post, you know, swimming career. But when she was a Cal, the prevailing logic was don't go major in architecture because you're, you're a competitive swimmer. There's just not going to be the time for that. And I, I just, I thought to myself, like, I mean, while I under, of course I understand the, you know, the practicality that's supposed to be embedded into, there was some other part of me that was like, gee whiz, really? That's the advice we get. We are giving our kids. No, it, it was it was it was an honest reality, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, coming from the streets, if you will, you know, you know cry about it or you know deal with it. But yeah. even um, even uh, as uh, you know, starting my uh, I fresh me at Cal, I actually wanted engineering, you know, and so of course during the recruitment process, engineering is available to you. You know, we have exceptional graduates in this course of study. You know, get to campus. Um, you, know, you can't, you know, engineering classes were literally the same time as, you know, um, practice, right. And travel and, you know, just that's the reality you have to deal with as a, as a student athlete, you know, like, how do you work, how do you work your academic schedule around what's offered? Um, and again, not to get off tangent, but like that, I would always, you know, try to, uh, have on-campus discussions about, you know, discussions around the fairness or unfairness of being a student athlete, right. You know, can you really truly, pursue your academic interests over the athletic commitment and, you know, you know, without 
being frank here, hell, hell knows the answer, you know? So <laughs> you, you have to fit your um, academic schedule around, uh, you know, the athletic offering, if you will. And that's yeah. just non-negotiable. I don't know if that's changed today, but that was clear as day the, yeah. uh, when I was at campus. When I was engineering or high school of business, just uh, pretty binary. So obviously, you know, you look back on your life and like that didn't affect you. That didn't hold you back at all. But I know so many people who are going through a moment like that right now to where they either didn't get in or didn't work with their schedule, whatever it is. And they think they're just dead in their tracks. All their dreams, the hopes that they wanted to have in their professional career are just over. What do you tell that person? Yeah, just, um, you know, you, well, that's a classic, you know, you have to have a plan B, right? You know, and, and life has told me that, um, like I said, I, I had every dream I would, you know, play high school, play college, play an NBA. I played high school, played college, didn't play an NBA. So what was I going to do? So the plan B, you know, a lot of times it's, 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 it's obviously not primary, but, you know, I, I just was able to surround myself with great teammates, uh, great academic support, and even a coaching staff at the time, like they literally would bring out, bring in um, outside speakers. I remember bringing in like the district attorney uh, from Alameda, you know, really to talk to the team about us being high profile and some of the potential trappings of you know, being at campus parties, not to, you know, get into, you know, dope and drugs and, you know, how to navigate the dating scene, you know, and, you know, do the implications of, you know, sexual assault, et cetera. Um, that, that was impactful because, you know, in a reflective moment, you know, I'm looking at these people, you know, presenting it to us. And I think the gentleman at the time was a former Cal football player. And so I had that curiosity of like, whoa, you played football here and now you're a DA from Alameda, you know, like what, how did that happen? You know? So, um, you know, again, credit to the coaching staff and, and putting us in those type of, you know, um, you know, career environments that, you know, really that we could relate to, you know, so I, I kind of had that like exposure piece and was comfortable even with the rigors of the academics at Cal and my athletic schedules to explore uh, internship opportunities that were out of curiosity. So I did an internship uh, with a Cal alumnus, Chris Laviotis. He's a high school coach now, I think at um, Mary Monty High School. Um, he had a law firm downtown Oakland. Um, I did an intern with him. Also did an um, investment banking intern. These were all just came through, you know, kind of extensions of the program, like working at basketball camps and meeting um, distinguished alumni that wanted to help and support. I just was motivated with an interest to, you know, pursue any and all of that, you know. And so, um, so that my plan B, you know, kind of was informed as I, as I went along, but the, but to that young, uh, you know, uh, young uh, man or woman that's going through that, you have to have a plan B, you know, uh, you know, plan B to still reach some of those goals. And now totally. you're the mentor for all these other people uh, through this uh, particular video feed in our program. So kudos to you, by the way, just as an aside, have you seen uh, Marshawn Lynch, uh, his little bit on plan B that he does with Bear Grylls? I have not, I have not seen, I have not seen that, but I've done some uh, work recently with uh, Marshawn's uh, First Fam Foundation, uh, First Fam Foundation, um, and some, uh, and some uh, other uh, Cal football uh, alumni. But I have not seen, I have not seen that. Yeah, Google it. It's awesome. It's uh, he uses the exact same language that you were using. <laughs> Beast mode. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you eventually get to this software slash video company called Sports Tech um, as the VP of Sales. Now 
Can you begin with the day that you graduated, Cal, and tell this story of how you got to sports tech and then how you laddered into your role as a VP of sales and give us all the maneuvers, all the jobs, all the networking. Give us all those details, please. Yeah. So again, when I finished Cal, you know, um, you know, I still wanted to play in the NBA and or continue my basketball career. So make no mistake about that. I was super competitive. And so uh, I ended up playing overseas for about a year and a half. And I played in three different countries, uh, Portugal, Spain and Poland. And just that tip, and most people can relate to this, that typical journey of like, you know, you um, there was no G League or any of that stuff. It was either the league or, you know, you're just playing overseas. But just that, you know, kind of uh, craziness of like, all right, once you try out for some teams and you wanted to keep playing, your best option was to play open gym back at Cal or play in some little leagues just to stay competitive. And so when I started to... Um, you know, that would be my second year, I should say, uh, you know, I was in a, a, a men's league in Marin, ran into a coach and said, hey, you know, uh, you know, I got this young man. I think he's uh, he's a point guard. Uh, you know, I think he's D1. Uh, would love for you to mentor him or, you know, get to get to know him a little bit. And by the way, we're having a high school tournament this weekend if you're available. Sure. You know, I get there. I'm thinking I'm going to be in a fan. He's like, do you mind sitting on the bench? I'm like. Okay, you know, sitting on the bench and, you know, just it was just it was just crazy, like to get that rush of like, you know, you're actually coaching, no coaching experience to that point, but always kind of had this kind of credit of being a coach on the floor, if you will. But like that formal coaching experience and never, never done that. And literally that next week, you know, in between that week, um, that that coach uh, is like Mike uh, Grignani. He's uh, he's uh, he's recently passed away or in recent years passed away. Um he ended up taking a job at Berkeley uh, High School. And so, you know, in high school, you know, uh, you usually play the whole summer. So he was in this conflict of like, hey, I got to take over my new program in the summer at Berkeley, but I want to leave these kids at Redwood High School behind. Would you be okay coaching these Redwood High School kids? And sure, you know, um, so that that was that was an experiment. And one of uh my uh, former uh, Cal uh, classmates, um, he was a student manager, Bill Schofield. Um, we were tight as ever leaving Cal. Um, he agreed to help me through that summer coaching his high school team. And we went through the process of applying for the, uh, the coaching job at Redwood High School. And that was my first transition from student athlete to coach. I was a head coach at Redwood High School, you know, served in that role for two years. Um, and while I was at, uh, when I finished at Redwood, I accepted uh, my first Division One uh, offer to work at the University of San Francisco um, as a graduate assistant, um, and that's where that was my first introduction to um, you know technology, if you will. So um, my role as the graduate assistant was to break down video, and we had it old school. It was uh, deck to deck, and you know, and that's analog technology. So if you're uh, breaking down film deck to deck, you better have it right and tight, as they say. Um, so I, you know, I would work my magic doing that. And, um, and we had a coaching change and I was, uh, I was retained as one of the assistants with the new regime. And, you know, like you have a coaching chain, all of a sudden, um, these resources you didn't have, you have, right. So this new coach, like, we want to invest in the best digital technology that's out there. We got to beat Gonzaga, rah, rah, rah. And that was my first introduction to this digital technology that I ended up, you know, going to work for the company as VP of sales, et cetera. But um, where it was profound to me was it really was the solution to me doing my job. I went from this analog angst to this digital revolution of like, man, I can do my job a lot 
faster, more efficient. And given my age at the time, I was able to do that and still hang out in the marina. You know, prior to that, you know, I was always in office, you know, just back and forth <laughs> with these analog, you know, tapes, if you will. But, um, you know, I had a commit, I had a, a, I always I always was kind of like a closet techie, if you will, back in college. I probably um, don't know why, but I had a sky pager, you know, I had to, I had to have a cell phone. I just was always like, you know, how can I, you know, have the, the latest tech or the, 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 the flips, uh, cell phone, all that. I was just always into that type of stuff. But when I got my hands in that video coordinator road, it's this digital platform and saw the ease. And, um, I just made that connection that man, this, this is pretty solid of how to use technology in this career. And I saw that a lot of people didn't want to do that type of job. Uh, and I just got really well, I, I got really good at it and I became a better teacher, better coach. And, you know, and I think, uh, you know, my influence or investment in that was impactful in our success. We were able to, you know, have better scouting reports, game plan, prep, et cetera. I left was here. It, was yeah. that a sports tech product that you were using? Uh, yeah. It was sports tech's product called Sports Code, yes. Hmm. So just introduced to it, um, no formal training, you know, hey, here's a go, figure it out. Um, and actually there's a Theo story connected to this because one of the assistant coaches that joined us at that time is Bill Johnson. Um, he was associate head coach. He had used the sports tech technology coming from Columbia University. So he had signed off like this, we need to, you know, be competitive. And my first informal training on the platform, me and him were uh, going from San Francisco to Concord to see Theo because we were recruiting him at De La Salle. He's driving, hands me the laptop with some instructions. Hey, man, we, you know, we got to get ready for the scout. You know, once you break down offense and defense, how I remember it, I never got out the car. I said, you go check out Theo. I'm like, this is, this is, this is, this is some cool stuff. So, you know, I became like the video coordinator and just the coordinator of a scouting and just, you know, went, went bananas with it. And uh, I was so exceptional with the sports code usage that when I left University of San Francisco to join uh, my uh, college coach, Todd Bozeman at Morgan State, you know, we definitely didn't have no resources of a Cal or USF. So we had to fundraise and that's where we tapped on to Jason Kidd and Sharif and others like that to help us raise money to have that sports code, you know, type of technology. And you couldn't, um, you couldn't escape the benefit of it because, you know, even at Morgan State, we went from dead last to, you know, competing for the NCAA tournament in one year. And that's because we had a digital you know, we had a, you know, we infused technology to close that kind of competitive gap, if you will. Yeah, the secret weapon. It sounds like that was a, wasn't widespread at the time. This is an Australia-based company, right? Uh, Sports Tech? Yeah, and, and you know, and I, I didn't know at that time I would be um, traveling to Australia because of this technology. Zero clue. But um, my, my one year at, um, at uh, Morgan State, you know, um, I wanted to get out of coaching altogether. All and sports tech was an opportunity to, um, you know, to try that industry, if you will. And I was really attracted to it because even though the company was based in Australia, the U.S. office was based in Camarillo, which is in Southern California. So I was like, man, if I can get out of Baltimore to go back to L.A., you know, you know what do I have to lose? Let's try it for a year. And, you know, coming from the ranks of coaching, you know, most coaches can relate to this, you know, to, to try this new job in this new industry. I had some safe rails, meaning that like I wasn't cold calling, like, you know, going to work for insurance company, trying to, you know, 
hit up random people. I had to sell this to coaches. So, you know, I kind of had a head start of having some relationships with folks. And so mm-hmm. for me to be able to sell the technology successful to coaches, I think was a big deal that I didn't really understand it because you can imagine with the success of our program at Cal and, you know, having a lot of name recognition, a lot of my sales were awkward. People were like, man, let's talk about that game, you know, against this. And I'm like, I'm here to sell and sell, sell, sell. So I had to get, you know, kind of uh, up to speed as to how to transition softly. Like, you know, just put a cap on those, you know, memory lane stories and like, hey, like, what do you like of this product, et cetera. But um, because I was, uh, you know, good at using the technology, I uh, was really, you know, exceptional of uh, kind of consulting potential you know, buyers that are pros and cons of it, et cetera. And so just out of the gates, just was able to help us open up market share at the uh, division one level and the NBA. So I got uh, in charge as VP of sales to manage our NBA business and had success selling sports code to 29 of the 30 uh, NBA teams. And here's my question for you guys from a research standpoint, and I'm putting you guys on the spot. All right, let's go. I'm telling you, um, at Sports Tech, we sold 29 uh, out of 30 NBA teams. What was the NBA team we did not have success selling to? Uh, I'm going to give this one to Joe. Ah, uh, research step. Uh, why don't I say a team that no longer exists, like the Seattle SuperSonics? No, uh, they're, they're in exi- they're they're in existence. Um, but they're coming back. Talent-wise, yeah. Talent-wise, yeah. Well, the, the Sonics are, they didn't they They turn into the Oklahoma City Thunder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Sonics, but Russell Wilson's trying to bring him back. I went to high school in Seattle, if uh, if you didn't uh, sort of gather that from my first suggestion. So what was the what was the actual team that didn't take it? It was, um, it was, uh, our friend Mark Cuban. Uh, he, uh, he had his No own, way. Oh, uh, yeah. Mavs. Yeah. Yeah, the maps at all people. But no, that that you know, so I always say like uh had ninety nine problems and and a and the Dallas Mavericks was definitely one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, just having success uh selling uh the sports tech technology to those NBA teams, you know, that that was actually my pivot to understanding an opportunity to, you know, um, you know, kind of, you know, take my career experience to that point and maybe make another transition, which was and selling that technology to, to all those uh, NBA teams, I saw firsthand there weren't no minorities or women in these kind of video coordinator roles. Yeah. And what was, what was uh, you know, eye-opening to me was that, yeah, video seemed to be like this low totem pole type of opportunity. But I saw team after team, someone starting that position and then almost in a season's time, they had advanced, right? You know, they had started in video. Next thing you know, they're assistant player development and they kept going up and up. But, you know, there was just no minority representation for that. So fast forward in a little bit, um, you know, that's one of my, one of my connections coming full circle with Theo was as he was, he had, um, he had had a, you know, significant hip injury as he uh, ended up at Cal. So he wanted to make that transition into coaching and, um, and if, from a mentoring standpoint, Theo, if you want to get into coaching, great. You got a lot of people around. You can learn some X and O's. You got to get your hands on technology. You know, it's like, well, what I needed to get on coaching, you have to put your hands on technology. So just for him to, you know, volunteers time to work with me um, with the sports tech, sports code, uh, you know, technology, I think he would, uh, you know, say that I was very helpful to him making that transition from Cal going to the Warriors in his first stint, you know, and they happened to win. So, um, you know, Theo was just kind of one of those examples of a personal connection I was able to help 
you know, get started or ushered down that path. And then over like, uh, you know, five, six year period, um, that, that list kind of grew to about 90 people through, uh, you know, personal mentoring and touching, you know, really getting that start in the league. And it was a diverse offering for me, you know, um, it wasn't just only, you know, minorities, um, had all people from walks of life, you know, really challenging them on, um, understanding the power of technology as it can help them with their career assets. So when I wanted to, um, you know, just to kind of, you know, be reflective of that success. I want, I just said, look, you know, if I found, uh, if I stumbled upon this kind of accidentally, what would it be like to, you know, really focus on that? And initially it was focusing on, you know, just focusing on technology exposure, some training program, and you get these, you know, sports career, uh, you know, pathway jobs. But what I didn't know was, you know, having to, you know, cause like coaching, you know, set up and setting up a practice plan or setting up a program was we had to come up with a curriculum, right? I kind of knew how to do stuff, but it never dawned on me like, all right, you know, there has to be a process here and, you know, and how are you going to offer to people that didn't have an athlete background and um, just uh, what helped develop in that curriculum. That's when it was so uh, opening that just the process of learning that type of technology was so directly correlated to STEM concepts, you know, around, you know, which we know today and celebrate today, you know, around uh, coding, you know, uh, the foundations of coding. And, but I really had this niche of like relating those type of, you know, uh, foundation principles to sports. And I think that made it, you know, digestible for people that wanted to go down this journey with me. And so, you know, that, that, that was a, that was a big part of it, but what still kept uh, going was then you had people like Theo extending in the league and making, uh, you know, uh, career advancements and they became influencers in the hiring process. So Theo moves on, he's reaching back, like, Hey, um, you know, any pipeline of talent behind me. And so we were able to grow, uh, I was able to grow team, you know, exponentially, you know, with that type of influence um, with Theo as an example, but again, about 90 others and of, and of those uh, 90 others, uh, you know, Sean Marks is on that list. Um, Sharif Abdul-Rahim's on the list. Jason Kidd, Monty Buckley. Um, so I took care of my cow people. I'll, I'll say that. So um, again, uh, go Bears, go Bears uh, just for being in a moment with that. I have a uh, just a, Rob's got is got the calm here mostly, but I do have a, a, an interesting observation. Uh, I was just telling him a story. Uh, about me just before we get on this uh, call and but it sounds like you did the same thing which is okay so you, you get this job in sales and had you sold anything before that oh um yes and just being a college coach being recruiting you know yeah so, well, that's know, true yeah you had to sell the university and i actually uh, when i was at the high school uh, as a high school head coach at redwood high school i sold cell phones you know i sold i was i worked for this um you know cell phone uh shop in San Jose called Star Cellular and we sold like Nextel phones, you know, and that's when, yeah. you know, cell phones were becoming more affordable. So, so yes, Joe, um, I, I had sold a little before that. Well, what it struck me, this is an important thing, I think, for some of our, our, our audiences uh, includes both people who are student athletes at Cal now and also people who have recently graduated. But one of the things that you were able to do in this move was you're using what you got. And so as an example, like my first job running a sales team, I'd never been a manager before. And I was telling Rob how bad I was at it initially, but I, but I did know the market incredibly well. I was a subject matter expert. So it sounds like in similarly, you were a subject matter expert and you had relationships and those two things 
you know, when sports tech was examining you as a candidate to be their head of sales, like those things were valuable assets that you brought to the table, even if like you hadn't been vice president of sales before, like that's how you kind of, sometimes that's the way people get their first opportunity. And I just wanted to point out that that was an important thing you did is leveraging what you got. Absolutely. And yeah. um, I felt like you too, Joseph. So it wasn't a smooth transition going from, let's say, an Eagle salesperson or a top salesperson all of a sudden to managing people. Because when you're managing people, you know, you have to set up, you know, a process and, you know, you have to have people reporting to you and you have to, you know, try to help them. And I struggled with that because certain things were just so natural and intuitive to me. And so just having just standard conversations of like, all right, Amber, what's your what's your process of cold calling? I just didn't see it that way. I was like, if I want to sell someone, I'm going to pick up the phone and call them and, you know, take some notes. And I, I just had no idea how to slow that down and really make that a process for someone. Right. And so um, I it was it, it, I struggled with you know, being the best example for that. But I was open to, you know, taking that type of, you know, executive coaching, if you will, to, you know, hone those skills. But what was, uh, you know, a positive, uh, as you mentioned, Joseph, I'd already had that, you know, subject matter knowledge and had some uh, already experience in selling. So um, that just came, you know, that, to be able to combine all of that, you know, it, it helped me overcome you know, that foreign experience of trying to manage people. But, you know, for me to put it all together, then that's when we, we, we as a team, hit the ground running. Um, <clears throat> Rob, I've got... Go ahead, Joe. Is it okay if I ask a following question that's, that's actually usually one of As many as you want. All right. So, you know, in thinking about this, you know, again, if somebody's thinking about, you know, being, a, uh, you know, a head of sales and like you're, you're beginning to sort of the subject of reflecting on how do you learn how to lead? How do you learn how to sort of build structure into a team and so forth? You know, we, could you contrast for us like what you think like a good VP of sales does and, you know, as opposed to like a bad VP sales, like what are the, what are the, some of the qualities of good VP of sales and what would be an example, like now in retrospect, since you've got more experience, like of a bad VP of sales. Yeah, I'll start with the bad, which is um, I think, you know, um, a lot of times uh, in a sales environment, you know, uh, companies hire people that are exceptional salespeople, right? Like they they just know how to get to collect the money, et cetera. So they put them in these management roles. And those folks like myself just don't know how to communicate the process. So the bad example would be thrusting someone in that role and, you know, not giving them the resources to maybe, you know, put their process down on paper or to go through that exercise of how you have to be able to explain how you are successful with the understanding of, you know, how you're bringing someone along. So no different when I had to make the transition from planning to coaching, we were pretty bad my first year. And I just was like, why are we so bad? Like, you know, why, why isn't this student athlete coming off a screen? And I realized, you know, you never taught them how to come off a screen. So if you had those type of reflective moments, you know, I was lucky to catch myself in those moments to really understand, but really be an active listener for like that type of coaching to understand my strengths, be humble to say like, all right, based on your strengths, let's work on a process or plan to unlock that, that's shareable to other people. Because, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're an athlete, you're competitive, you know, it's just a community, uh, you have to be uncomfortable to work on your communication still skills. And that's really to be able to, you know, like literally orally communicate 
how something happened, you know, and not just, you know, well, it's natural to me. Like, so uh, it's just weird to say, like, you know, um, I guess to have experience that to overcome it, you know, um, it's second nature now, but like, that's my big bad, that's my bad VP, uh, you know, kind of experience. And, you know, when I got that type of coaching and reinforcement, I was exceptional, you know, and I was able to, you know, help, you know, the salespeople below me, you know, compete, you know, just understanding, you know, the process and the methodology with stuff. Yeah. Can you give us a sense of what a day in the life of a sales leader looks like? Like just for example, a given Tuesday, I mean, when do you arrive? How are you spending your time? What are these tools that are your, that you're using and these key intellectual skills that are required? Yeah. I, I think I, I always, um, you know, you, you look for little anecdotes of like, you know, what, what fires you. Right. And so uh, one thing that always uh, stood out to me was that when I first got into my sales job, it was about the ABCs of selling. I love this framework. So most people think that, you know, the APs, uh, you know, um, is always be selling. I mean, always be closing. Right. You know, people, you know, can, can relate to that. Actually, for me, it was pretty personal. It was like Anwar better close. So I had always had that. <laughs> lit in me like, man, you you know, that you can't have no excuses. You got to get it done. But I was able to pivot from that always be closing and you know, being that annoyance of like, you know, oh my God, here comes Anwar and, pe- you know, people crossing the street because, they, you know, you're going to hit them up with some sales pitch, whatever. Um, I was able to tap back into, um, you know, the networking around relationships. So I was able to kind of pivot to the ABCs of always be connecting. And I started a deep understanding that sales were relational, uh, you know, um, you know, really, you know, pivot on relationships and trust and getting to know people. So um, instead of coming from it, always be closing or and be closed, which is so transactional, I was able to become consulting or, you know, just, you know, understanding what it meant to lead with open, open-ended questions and be conversational, but really be uh, presenting stuff um, in a value. So, um, but when I came VP of sales, I had to understand, take all that experience and kind of set a culture where, because I said stuff is relationship, uh, relational, uh, no, I had to understand what, you know, what did my sales teams like and didn't like, you know, I like certain things, but to have that uh, understanding of what they like, you want to, you know, atta- attach uh, rewards and goals to that. So a lot of it, uh, you know, Robert, it's like, you know, in a day it's like, you know, you have to forecast, you have to, you know, project when sales are coming, but really just, coaching. I mean, it's, it's a lot of coaching, you know, just and not have it, you know, I always told people I worked with people versus they worked for me. So if you, you know, you have to kind of adapt that type of approach, but you know, people can see if it's authentic or not. So I definitely did my research of what philosophies or techniques are out there, but I had to, you know, embrace something that fits me. And so my typical day was structured around, you know, supporting my sales team, having complete independence with the goal in mind. So stuff like, you know, yeah, we, we had sale goals. So like, you know, does everyone have to be in office every day? And, you know, you have to, you know, tinker with that type of, you know, culture you want to set, you know, and just give people ownership and autonomy into it. You know, I think, you know, you, you're going to, it's not like you're always going to uh, win, but I think you're going to do a lot better if you approach it that way, just understand other people's, you know, personalities and stuff like that. Yeah, you mentioned a couple things there. At least one of the best. Uh, uh, you're, there's there's a theory out there that some of the best salespeople are the best listeners. And and then one of the one of the like the you know the judo moves that that create 
leaders uh, perform is that they, like you said, they figure out what makes their individual people tick. And then you, you draw linkages basically between the company's uh, required outcomes and, and things that those people care about. And you're constantly sort of like working with that emotional complexity of all the different people on your team and trying to get them moving by uh, creating linkages to the things that they actually intrinsically care about. So both good uh, individual contributor sales guidance from you there and also some good leadership guidance. Uh, th- th- thank you for that. Yeah. You know, when Joe and I were talking to, we've seen this in a few examples so far, is that when you're a leader in sports and you're coaching, I mean, kind of put your finger in people's chests. You can get really intense. And like, if they're not performing to the way that you're performing or that you want them to, it can get pretty intense. Did And then when you go to the workplace, I mean, it, it might not work like that, right? I mean, what did you see like with that transition from like leading in sport, being a coach versus this VP in sales career? Yeah, I think mine was a, a actually pretty succinct because um, even though I wasn't in coaching, I still was in the sports industry, right? So the technology that I was selling, the value was it was a competitive advantage, right? So I had to be, you know, just sensible to like, all right, coaches are in high demand, like stuff has to work and you had to, you know, um, be able to explain the technology in the context of like, this is mission critical to your success. And if, uh, you know, a team's going to commit a quarter of a million dollars to you, you better have some ways to back that up. Right. But really, I think because of my sports background and the culture we created at sports tech and then the, the hires we did, we had we had had a, a sales staff where people were coming from the, the sports environment where they were student managers or coaches um, like myself, because we could relate to that sense of urgency. So if you're selling to coaches, there's no nine to five environment, you know, you know, it's 24 seven, but you know, you had to be able to have that type of, you know, sensibility or self-awareness. And a lot of times, Joseph, even to this, I'm not saying even to this day, but like, that's hard to find um, in some trail uh, in some training environments. You know, I think there are some techniques you can kind of, you know, flush that out, but that that's, that's kind of hard to find. We were fortunate that, the technology was pretty uh, popular um, and it was it had a reputation of its own of being super reliable. We had a hell of a head start being able to hire people that came from that background. So we were able to like just help them a more specific element of training. But those intangibles were, you know, so key to our success. And then at some point in sports tech, your role shifted to VP of business development. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yep. Can you give us a contrast between sales and business development for us? And like, how are they different in their duties and compensation skills required? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, it was a little resistance because you go from sales. Like, I want to be clear. Sales equals money. Sales equals compensation. Business development, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it doesn't always translate translate to that. So if anybody's listening and you had to prioritize those two. If you're coin operated, if you want to get commissions for your sales, sales is for you. Go sales, go sales. Forget that management stuff. But no, from my competitive nature um, and, you know, kind of uh, getting some strategic experience under my belt, like business development was a a natural transition for me because it, you know, it's only 30 NBA teams, for example, and I'm selling the same product. So I had to start thinking about how can we go back and revisit those customers with different product, different services. Um, 
open up different markets. I was coming from basketball. Like what is, is soccer or football? Can that be a revenue driver for? So it was kind of a natural transition for me to kind of maybe see what the opportunity would be from business development. But um, the transition, um, the transition was, you're still tied to revenue, but it's kind of, it's kind of a, I felt it was a career advancement for me because even though I wasn't tied to revenue, you know, I was setting the table for future markets, et cetera. So it was like, you know, it was like, I don't know, experimenting with some confidence. I mean, that's probably, that's probably the best way I I can describe it. And because of my competitive nature and, you know, success in sales, you know, you're going to put your best foot forward in that. You're not just going to try to open up some markets without, you know, being prepared, listening to what they want to do. And um, so um, it was, it was a nice way to like be able to focus a hundred percent on, you know, the successes or lack thereof in the sales world and how we can make a product or open up a market that could, you know, achieve those same revenue goals. So it, yeah, it's a good transition for me though. sounds like it was like strategy and new market expansion uh, in this particular role. And then, you know, for, for some other people, business development also includes partnerships, you know, where, where you have, let's just say a, a target segment uh, of users that, you know, two different companies, totally unrelated. Like I saw one today, I was telling Rob about Chase, the bank and Peloton, you know, and they, there's, there was some, you know, promotion that they were running on, on Chase's website where they figured out that somehow they could help each other, uh, you know, acquire a customer and like they'd both win. Like that's a classic sort of business development, at least, you know, in the Silicon Valley version of built business development, that sort of partnership that uh, is like mutually beneficial. Yeah. And uh, one one example I would share with the group was uh, uh, when I was at, uh, you know, in the VP uh, business development role was trying to find um, from a market standpoint, how can we get our technology in the hands of like AAU coaches? Because on one hand, we had technology that was required you to have a Mac computer. But me coming from the AAU world, I just I just knew that was a non-starter. A lot of these coaches, if they had to choose with buying a computer for this technology or using that for travel, they would choose travel every single time. So to your point, Joe, we had to look at existing partners that maybe had technologies that are already in the cloud, you know, to facilitate, to facilitate or support our offering. And so that was, you know, that's a great way of uh, how you uh, teed that up because that's how, uh, you know, we tried to execute, you know, and we had the resources to go develop stuff from start to bottom, but, if it made a lot of sense from existing, you know, uh, complementary solution in the market, figure out a way how to work together, share revenues to benefit the customer, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it as well, which I was really excited about. So what did you, I have two questions uh, related to this. Was this, there was the BD role before or after huddle bot sports tech. And did you, did you, I did you, I couldn't necessarily hear, did you like BD? Did you did you end up liking that more than, than sales? I, I, lo- I love BD um, more than not more than sales, but um, I, I, I love the transition. It, it was fun to me, and actually, BD fit more of this nonprofit hat I wear now. You know, you like in this space, you cannot stand alone. You better be looking out for a Chase Cross promotion, right? Or <laughs> a Cal Berkeley connection. Um, so now I, I've, I've had some. Um, some foundation pieces in place, but to answer your question, so the uh, I was VP of sales at Sports Tech, 
VP of development at Sports Tech and at Huddle um, through the initial transition. So at Huddle, when we got up to Huddle, you know, I I was focused on the VP of uh, business development in the club basketball space because we had been exceptional in the league market, meaning like NBA and college. But how can we, you know, get our hands on uh, this youth market uh, market opportunity? So um, I did that for two years, I believe, and then I've been full time doing uh, this Team Inc. stuff now. I want to shift over to the intangible benefits of what you invested just tens of thousands of hours as a basketball player. I mean, running, treating, competing, line drills, all that stuff. Our audience is very interested whether the sensibilities you developed as an athlete are transferable to sport post-sports careers. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Joe for that one. Yeah, so Anwar, we hear you know a lot about the advantages embedded in the, the mindset uh, of former athletes and, you know, the, the skills you practice and, you know, sensibilities and so forth. Uh, there's this uh, person down at Stanford named Carol Dweck. She's a professor. She's wrote a book called Mindset on this, for example. And um, but anyway, I'm just wondering, you know, whether you feel like, you know, you have any superpowers from your, your time on the court, you know, whether you think that this notion of like, you know, sports sensibilities transferring over to, um, you know, post-sports professional careers is like truth or hype. And uh, if you if you do think, you know, that there are some things that you practiced as a basketball player that help you, you know, both, you know, at team and previously at Huddle and Sports Tech and so forth, like, you know, if you could sort of give us a tangible example, both like I did this thing over here in the basketball court and then I do that same thing over here you know, in my professional life and it's the same thing and it gives me an edge or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. So, um, I guess the best example would be, I would relate it to like, as you know, I'm gonna use basketball example as a basketball player, you know, you have to, uh, you know, you're part of a team, you have to work on your individual game. So I was a point guard that could shoot. So I had to work on my ball handling and shooting the ball. So those were two big components of me contributing as an individual, but to the team success. So the example I would be like, if I'm going to get in the gym and shoot a thousand shots, you know, every day, you know, obviously I want to do that to prepare for a moment, right? Or if I get an opportunity to be in a game, I can make that happen. Well, that sounds great. And you put that effort in, but you know, the litmus test is, all right, what happens? You've done all that prep work. You get that wide open shot and you airball it, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to just dis disavow that all that work in prep was just um, wasteful. You know, and honestly, and I'm being serious, for some people, that is a real, that is a reality check and kind of don't never recover. But maybe I had, you know, like so many of those examples that were successful, I was always looking for the next opportunity. It's almost like, you know, I just saw it like, look, I know I can be successful if I practice these fundamentals given opportunity. So if you get into that sales environment and you have to get your quotas and you got your manager breathing down your threat, uh, your neck, like, you know, how many calls have you made? You know, like if you believe in that process and those fundamentals, you know, I think you have a little more tough skin when people calling you, you call, uh, you calling people and they pick them up and they hanging up the phone on you or just, you know, being harsh saying no, I just think you have tough skin to like, you know what, that next call is going to be a yes. And so that to me, that was my world I live in of like, look, I'm going to be successful if I believed in the process, et cetera. And that, and that was, 
that was embedded in me from just, you know, my commitment to athletics at the time. And man, it's, having like, that, it's like, it's like native to the, like to absolutely. the athlete's mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, 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 we're going to win and, and you started to find what winning is, you know, you're like, okay, well you gotta be winning one out of 10 is not winning, but you almost have to believe that that is winning. Right. You know, it's like you, you, you have, you have to figure it out. So. Yeah. You, something else, something else you said actually is, uh, has been mentioned by other people, which is, this idea that you practice, you know, like you mentioned 10,000 shots or whatever, like, you know, in every one of our sports at Cal, people practice, you know, where, where fans can't see them for hours, years, you know, like infinitely, like your 10,000 hours, as it were, like, you know, getting ready for these shots, practicing over and over and over and over to get just, just a tiny small margin better. But in the end, it's like sometimes those are the margins that make a difference. And it doesn't, you know, and you're right. And some people might crumble if they, they did all this work and then like, you know, they, they didn't hit the winning shot. But I think it's also sort of interesting that a lot of athletes are used to having both successes and failures. I mean, I, you know, I definitely threw, I threw interceptions when I was a quarterback. I didn't just like roll over. <laughs> no, no, you got to keep playing, you know, find a bigger target, right? You start to challenge yourself, you know, like, look, I'm throwing the ball right. You know, my, my receiver needs to, you know, thin off the defender, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, so it sounds like you, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if I got the answer yet. Do you think this is, you know, that this, there is real tangibility in, in these, these sorts of, uh, you know, practices or mindset and so forth in your career as a professional? So how you uh, proposed it to me, I'm accepting that as a yes. I'm saying, yes, there's superpowers. There's a mindset of an athlete, if you will, that is so transferable to these like sales and post-athlete uh, careers, because it's almost like you have the, the the blueprint or the mapping of, like you said, what, what goes into possible success. And then you have these reality checks of what is success and not success. That is so transferable because, you know, and then what, what's probably relief for us as athletes is that a lot of times you get in the business world, no one is in your face like that. You know, right? you scream, they're just like, send your email, hey, do better. You're like, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, that's all you got? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's easy in comparison. I, I told Rob the other day, you know, at least with football, this is actually would definitely be true with basketball. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of circumstances that are, you know, in sports that are challenging physically and emotionally, you know, and when you get in the work world, you know, there's not much of a physical challenge anymore, you know? So it's just, it's just emotional. And sometimes that feels kind of easy in comparison. I, I, I'm, you have a thumbs up for me. That That's probably the best way I could describe like the benefit of that, you know, so athletes keep, keep working on that blueprint. It, it only helps you down the road. It only helps you down the road. Now, I also want to talk about Team Inc. Um, what, what inspired you to start Team? And can you explain what the company is and what you do? Yeah, so, uh, you know, relating it back to uh, when I was at uh, Sports Tech, at VP of Sales, selling the, the technology to the NBA teams, just that experience of seeing, um, you know, uh, and this is often a little bit reflective too, there was just an issue around equity, right? I was just like, look, you know what? You have um, on one hand on the playing fields, a majority of minorities leading teams from that physical aspect, but on the operations technical sides, you know, you don't have that type of, you know, majority. 
And my small example window into that was this video technology uh, role. And I just saw like, all right, someone gets an opportunity, they're trained, you know, they have the intangibles of, you know, knowing, uh, you know, having a basketball background, et cetera. Um, and I want to insert the on it is like, you know, have someone like in his career, never really been exposed to technology, if you will, had some coaching experience at Cal, but haven't really focused on some of this video technology stuff. You know, I think, again, he would say that like that was very helpful for him landing his first opportunity, uh, you know, uh, you know, with the Warriors. And so um, having Theo as that kind of example, um, I just thought it was a bigger opportunity to, um, you know, expose this type of awareness or technology training to youth because Theo would be in that kind of bra uh, bracket of like a college student or young adult. I was like, what about these uh, younger students that would have, that had these exposure points to technology offerings that could, you know, have them pursue that career a pathway. And so I just like in that athlete blueprint, I'm like, you know, that was my hypothesis. Like, why don't I just try this and see what happens? And it started to be really successful right away. I had buy-in right away, had, you know, outcomes and success. And like anything else in business sales, you know, you want, if you have success, you want to do more and you want to repeat scale, et cetera. And so um, in this uh, technology space now, um, even though basketball has been uh, such a success, you know, we now have partnerships with entities like Salesforce where, you know, we can, it's not about landing a job in the sports world, but if you can, if, uh, part of our curriculum, where we, uh, you know, teach how to aggregate data, you know, process it and, you know, build visual dashboards, you know, you're, you're working on technologies like Tableau or basic stuff like Excel and numbers or Google sheets. And if you can make that relatable to people's experiences, I think they're more inclined back to the basketball example to get more reps, find their like niche and understanding and make it an applicable and to me, the secret sauce is that that's what employees are looking for, right? You know, and that's what uh, if, you know, so I like to say team is this kind of bridge between corporate and the community, mainly focus on the talent base, right? Like, you know, all these corporate corporations want to, uh, in some cases, diversify their workforce or just expand their talent pool. And, you know, I think we do a good job of closing that opportunity and skill gap, how we focus on approaching both. And now can you explore what structural discrimination is for us? And what are these root causes that you're trying to address? Like what's on your mind um, when you're helping people? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go um, larger context and kind of work backwards. So um, structural, I'll use systemic, if you will. So um, uh, uh, obviously with the political climate going on right now and what happened this past summer with um the bird of George Floyd, um, you had this kind of awakening of like, all right, corporate America is not connected to, you know, uh, certain communities or different uh, demographics just from, you know, diversity and leadership, et cetera. Well, I saw it was systemic is that if you go back as to how those leadership uh, circles are, are, are formed, it's about relationships, right? It's who you went to business school with, who do you associate with, you're more likely to hire those type of people. And so um, I would say like what I try to focus on, um, at least from a coaching standpoint, is that what is missing um, regardless of what you look like from a foundation piece, right? And again, I, I'm, I'm screaming the technology piece. If we're talking about coaching, 
a lot of this discrepancy around the coaching is that, you know, if you look at it from a black white perspective, a lot of the minority coaches don't have a lot of technology foundation pieces, right? And that is so important in today's coaching world to be able to speak about your team with the narrative of numbers and analytics. But if you had no exposure to that, you're going to fail given that opportunity. But if someone else had exposure and given opportunity, we can bet on their success. And it's just been this outlier that if you really unpack that, to me, it's systemic around that exposure piece, but then that foundation piece of like having equal training opportunities. And then if you have that, I think you have your best competitive environment because whoever you choose, it, it should be merit-based at that point, right? You're not mm-hmm. yeah. trying to like, uh, you know, balance the scales because, you know, it's so lopsided. But I think you have to invest in that because, of course, there are going to be some unicorns and some exceptions, but it's the same thing. If if, if I'm exceptional and, and, you know, being a VP of sales at sports tech, but then there's no one that looks like me that's in the pipeline or behind me, that's that's what I focus on, maybe addressing the, the systemic aspects of it, you know. Um, and, yeah. you know, and transparently, right? You know, I don't work in silos where I'm just going to all of a sudden, like, only work with minorities, only work with women's and hope it changes the, uh, you know, landscape. You know, I think you, um, you have to, you have to do that um, in concert with, you know, you know, diversity interests, because a lot of times uh, people have their different definitions of diversity. I don't see diversity always along the lines of race. It's about your aptitude too. You know, you can have an all white leadership council, all black leadership council, people have a diversity in thought, you have diversity, you know? And I just think that like, you know, you have to have that, in my opinion, that sensibility to um, recognize that, identify it and address it, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a very like constructive way, that's all. Hey, I got a quick question too. On, yeah. uh, in terms of the things that, that you, you're teaching kids at team is, so it sounds like it includes some basic stuff like uh, G Suite, slightly more advanced things like Tableau, but you mentioned data processing. Are you doing, are you teaching query queries on the databases too, or? Um, so, um, so I would say the foundation of that, uh, Joseph. So example was like, I'll give a quick basketball example. So we make things project-based. So mm-hmm. we may have uh, like one of the cohorts we have run right now. Um, it's a, it's a Los Angeles based co- uh, cohort. Um, I have them breaking down game five and game six of the finals and they're break down, they're breaking it down to have some certain findings that they need to find out. Like, all right, how did the Lakers win game six, but lose game five? And so that example of like mm. having them understand what a data set is and how to quantify and qualify that, then a natural extension of that is that like how I'm going to find that information to tell my story. So that's the foundation of a, you know, query searching, right? Like, how are we going to take what we've had and yeah. understand how to, you know, get, get to that information. And then we teach coding or scripting, if you will, to have them, I have the skill sets to um, visualize that data because I would make the nuance that like, yeah, you can have all this, these dashboards and spreadsheets, but if you got a player looking over your shoulder, you have to communicate in that person's world. So we teach those kind of soft skills, uh, you know, and, and, and it's easy for us to, you know, teach those um, without adoption of the project, the project based approach to it. You know, it's kind of learn and do, you know, it's some self-discovery. So it's not just this textbook of Anwar said this and you remember this and, you know, it's, you know, you, you, you have to, it's critical thinking and, you know, just, Oh, this, this sounds marvelously brilliant because you're, you're taking a subject matter, 
that people care about, you know, perhaps at this age, you know, this group, they're caring about sports and so forth. And then you're like, okay, you want to be a professional? Like, like, let me show you how to be a professional, you know, when it comes to data and winning in this sport. And then they, you know, there, there's your entryway, your relevance, you know, for a young person who, you know, who might otherwise, you know, not be organically drawn to parsing data, <laughs> you know, or, or coding or whatever. And quite frankly, it's a marketing too, right? Because it's how you present it, right? Because if I advertise what we do is we just data analytics boot camp, I mean, people would run for the Montclair Hills, right? <laughs> but if I'm saying this is a sports boot camp, okay, what is that? You know, um, you know let's look under, look, look under the hood. But um, that's how Secret Soft, Joe um, and Robert, like, you know, we, we really just start there, right? And then the mentoring stuff accelerates. So let's say we get this aha moment from any of our students. Well, I have a real life example. We're like, all right, you wanted to learn more about what video coordination is at the professor ranks? Well, why don't you text Theo and we go get on a Zoom with Theo and pick his brain. And, you know, and Theo can say, oh, I mean, I, I've been there and done that. Yes, this matters. And, you know, and this is what I had to help the team figure out for our first finals run. So to have that kind of unique, you know, reinforcement, we make it real, you know, so like, and, and, and obviously, you know, high school students can't go from, you know, my program straight to the league, but you know, there are a lot of high school programs that need this type of, you know, video uh, support. And so I think, you know, we kind of, you know, introduce what entrepreneurship is, right? If you have these skills, you know how to do it. You can provide this service and benefit to someone what is negotiating? How do, how do you even reach out to shop those services around? So, um, you know, um, I didn't realize we did all that until you guys had me explain it. But yeah, we, we do all that. <laughs> so nice. so uh, speaking of entrepreneurship, how, how did you find your co-founder? Uh, so Alexis was a student athlete at USF when I was transitioning out. And um, so she played basketball at Bishop O'Dowd. I was assistant coach at USF. She had uh, went from O'Dowd to DePaul, transferred from DePaul back to USF. I was transitioning out. But just being an alumni of USF, we connected at an alumni event and um, just like, what are you doing now? And she actually had a master's degree in um, you know sport management. And she had spent about five years in after school programming. I, I knew what I wanted to do, just didn't know how to even get started. So that was a good example. Right place at the right time, you know, approaching this from a complimentary standpoint. Like I have yeah. this vision of what I want to do. Is this realistic to execute net? And so because of her experience, we had to get those kind of case studies under our belt really fast, you know, and have that organized and, you know, and literally touch that, touch that hypothesis, uh, Joseph, like, all right, uh, if we're going to get a group of kids together. How are we going to get them together? You know, what's, you know, how, how are we going to make this happen? I didn't know any of that. And she was super helpful for that. And then obviously the, um, you know, my consideration from a founding, you know, partnership, you know, I wanted to be uh, gender considerate as well. That, that was a big deal for me, you know? And so, yeah. Uh, we've been solid uh, five years now. So that's the that's the Lexus and story. If yeah. Well, for all of you people out there listening, if you're thinking of starting a company, there is no more important decision than your co-founder. And, uh, you know, finding somebody that you can split the work with or you have complementary skills and so forth is uh, it just could not be more important. Uh, so, Rob, you want to. Uh, 
Yeah, and we've hit we've hit the end of our time here. So I just want to rapid fire two questions at you. Um, number one, how, how can people follow you? How can they reach you? And then two, if you right now could have a conversation with your 22 year old self, what would you say? What's the guidance and advice that you would give? I would have gotten into data science when I was 22 if, if I could do it all over again. Now, that would be no. Um, if I was if I was 22. Um, you know, I, I would have probably tripled down again on just wanting to pursue uh, my passion, which was at the time, you know, uh, playing basketball. I happened to be an exceptional athlete and I would have just done more to pursue that. So um, I don't have any regrets for that. Uh, but reflectively, I would have doubled down on, doubled down on that. Um, so I translate to say that anyone that's 22 that's listening right now and you're at that intersection of what you want to do, Really just focus on what you're passionate about. You know, 22, I think for the most part, you have an idea of what some options may be, but what what, what, what makes you tick and motivate you to get up, pursue those. Um, so that would be my, if I was 22, double down with. Um, to reach me, uh, I'm on uh, social media platforms, Twitter and IG, and I'll handle for Twitter and IG is we are Team Inc. And that's spelled uh, all together, W-E-A-R-E-T-E-A-M-I-N-C. And our website is weareteaminc.org. And I can be reached directly there as well. Awesome, Anwar. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Your story is truly inspirational. What you've done is equally as inspirational. Um, you've inspired me today. I know you have for Joe too. So thank you so much for your time today. It was a blessing and go Bears. No, go, go, Bears. Bears, to, go Bears to you guys. And so I hope this is not the only time I get to work and interact with you guys. You know, I'm here to support you guys, Theo, et cetera. You know, I really believe in the cow was a big part of my success. And this is a small way to give back. I want to, you know, continue that. So please uh, utilize me as a resource if you find, uh, you know, plausible. We definitely will. Okay, go Bears. Go Bears. Go Bears. What a compelling and insightful story from Anwar McQueen. Some of the key takeaways that stood out to me were how he pursued his passion and interest to build his career, the importance he places on relationships, and how he has now made it his life's work to share the skills he learned in tech to create a better future for others. That's an example to be followed. As Anwar said, he can be followed on Twitter and Instagram. Links to those are in the show notes. You can find the podcast, show notes, and additional content and resources on the Spotlighting Episodes page at bigcsociety.org forward slash spotlighting. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the podcast, please subscribe, comment, and share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can also support us by making a gift at bigcsociety.org forward slash donate. The Big C Society is a very efficient, mostly volunteer organization and a registered 501c3 charity. Each donation of $500 supports one episode, although donations of any size are welcome. I appreciate our team who works very hard week in and week out on this podcast. Our liaison directors for each sport at Cal who co-host the shows. Our production team behind today's episodes, audio, video engineering, graphics, and so forth along with the Big C Society president, Joe Roof, who has been pivotal in getting the society where it is today with his hard work and expertise. I appreciate you all. Lastly, if you played varsity sports at Cal and you haven't connected with us on LinkedIn, join us. Send a connection request. Our LinkedIn network is comprised of thousands of Cal varsity athletes and alumni who are among the most productive citizens of the world, just like Anwar. 
I'll see you in two weeks on our next amazing episode. Thank you for listening and go Bears! Go Bears!